Welcome, everyone, to episode eight of The Metabilist 2 with your host, Ben, and your other host. Oh, that would be David. Excellent. So I guess we're going to pick up on the console room discussion that we had. I thought that was a fascinating discussion. So I think we left it. We, we left it in the in the time machine. Um, uh, the, uh, the 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 it is. Hang on, it is a time machine. No, it's a time and space machine. It is. A, it's not actually a time machine. It's a time and space machine. We left it in the H.G. Wells themed uh, console room of the Fourth Doctor's. Mm-hmm. And we talked about the console taking apart with uh, Pertwee and the yep, yep. design. We did, we did, we did. And it really wasn't much to say, interestingly enough, about the Troughton era console. It seemed to follow pretty closely yeah. on the footsteps of Hartnell. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So then I think we move on to the um, well, I mean, 80s. We, we, the, the 80s, yeah, exactly. And the um, kind of Bidmead. Style. I always think of it kind of a Bidmead style <laughs> console because it's all BBC Micro mm-hmm. and stuff, mm-hmm. which actually I've grown to like better over the years. I remember disliking it intensely, of course, because again, I was quite, cons- I still am quite conservative about my Who, um, disliking it intensely when it first arrived. But uh, what do you think about that one? The season 21 console? Yeah. Well, when I was a kid, when I was watching, I said, "Wow!" I, I was very impressed by the multi-tier. Yes, that um, is impressive. Time rotor in the middle, and yes, I thought it was cool that they had computer graphics in it, and those were state-of-the-art graphics in the early '80s. And I thought that was a good way of going about it. And I liked I liked the index file that they had with Tegan and Nissa accessing it, and right, it, right, it made sense to me as a growing up in the 80s and working with Apple right. IIs in the computer lab, and this is this is the way computers should be. Interesting. It was very flashy, and I think it made the season 21 made the debut in the Five Doctor anniversary yeah. special, and yeah, it seemed to jazz things up in the console room. Yeah. This is mid-80s for you as well, right? We've, yeah. We've now kind of converged in terms of, of, of watching Who, because I think what's right. been interesting about this discussion when we've taken it historically is that I, I was watching early Who contemporaneous mm-hmm. with its transmission, and, and you were watching it slightly later, but as, I think as soon as we hit the Davison era, we're both watching Who at the same time. Yeah, pretty much in sync at that point. Yeah. So the, the anniversary special was broadcast in the States a day or two before. I think before, it was, yeah. I think it was. Um, to, much, to much scandal, I guess. It was. It was absolutely <laughs> scandalous. It's like bloody Yanks taking our Who from us. Yeah. Again, what's, what's kind of interesting to me is that you were, you were at school and you were kind of interested in computers, mm-hmm. you know, so the console kind of worked for you in that way. Mm-hmm. I, at that time, was intensely conservative and with a small c um and hated computers <laughs> we were made to do a computer uh-huh. programming class at school which i detested with 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 a passion something i actually really regret now because it means that I'm, i never learned how to type and i still really can't type that well and i never really learned how computers mm-hmm. work and um, now i know i know a little bit more mm-hmm. so that was actually one of the reasons why i really disliked the console because it looked like uh, it looks like the computer class at school where we have to sit in front of these stupid monitors and like co-do things that I thought were absolutely <laughs> pointless. Um, so that's one of the reasons why I didn't like it, because it was too much like a contemporary mm-hmm. computer was. And I guess in some ways, I still thought of computers as being kind of sort of big, impressive objects. And I again, I remember despising these kind of small things that we had to work on. Mm. Uh, 
like the master's TARDIS in uh, the Time Monster. That's a computer. That's, that's a computer, exactly, exactly. And and I I also I think I remember also feeling like to have the same kind of monitor in the TARDIS that I was being mm-hmm. forced to do what I thought were ridiculous tasks on in the computer lab at school was like, well, you know, mm-hmm. that, does that mean the TARDIS is like the computer lab at school with the idiot teacher who's trying to make me do computer stuff? So yeah, so these are all personal reasons why I why originally I. <laughs> didn't really care for that console that much yeah so i had probably the exact opposite reaction because i was in madly in love with computers and trying to program them and And, sort of like and you were very smart to be so because i was (laughs) on the wrong side of history so season 21 and through the mccoy era uh, consoles definitely looks dated now with the crt yeah um, television monitors on there and it's it's still very analog i guess and yeah there's buttons and yeah it's still trying to be a machine though and it's still trying to be this futuristic con- yeah. device that controls this highly Im- scientifically impressive machine that travels yeah. through time yeah. and space well i think we we touched on this last time didn't we how it may be that you know the chameleon circuit in some way works internally better than it does work externally yes. and it kind of you know adapts the internals of the tardis mm-hmm. to any particular time, which I think may work as an idea. Mm-hmm. I'll say the other thing that irritated me about uh, if, that I didn't I didn't find very satisfactory about the graphics, etc. At that time, also was that I think I'd seen two thousand and one. The Space Odyssey, mm. you know, the yeah, 1967 mm-hmm. Kubrick movie at that time. And I also remember I was still am and was a great fan of uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And I'd watched mm-hmm. the, the Hitchhiker's TV show, which and both of those, both that movie from, you know, very, very much earlier, but also I think especially Hitchhiker's, they used animation Absolutely. for computer graphics. Yes. I think this is part of the quite interesting synergy that someone like Bidmead was trying to do. You know, the, the computer graphics for the TARDIS were on the BBC Micro. Mm-hmm. Um, so they looked pretty basic mm-hmm. compared to, again, other instances where one had seen computer graphics, mm-hmm. but which were which were animated. Obviously, you know, Doctor Who couldn't have afforded, to, you know, as a weekly show, mm-hmm. um, couldn't have had the time to produce animated graphics at all. But I think that's the other thing that kind of let me down. True, with. but the... The amount of computer graphics that they actually did were pretty minimal. I think the one that yeah. one that I replicated myself was when the awesome. doctor you did. Yeah, the the pyramid oh, with, when it drew. <laughs> I'd love to see that. <laughs> well, I don't have it anymore, but it drew the pyramid with the little uh-huh. door in it. I you know oh, that was yeah. something I was able to replicate on the Apple II back in the day. Which is exactly what Bidmead, etc. of the BBC wanted you to do. Mm-hmm. They were trying to inspire, you know, kids to, mm-hmm. be, to become computer geniuses. Yeah, well, maybe not. But <laughs> <laughs> so they could have. They could have animated if they wanted to, I think, for the minimal set of graphics that they did. Yeah. So, yeah. But it was definitely trying to hook in what technology was being perceived as or are being seen as cutting-edge technology in the 1980s. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. so you know the whole bid median index file to everything you can look up in the IF, and everything is yeah. indexed and cataloged. It's kind of precursor of the of a Wikipedia or a World Wide Web. 
yeah back in yeah. the late 90s where yahoo would try to individually index every page and yeah you know write yeah. up a little synopsis of it so it kind of it's caught in that transition between say like the analog card catalog and today where we have hyperlinks everywhere with wikipedia or just the internet or yeah. You know, so it captured a, the transitory nature of technology for the 1980s. Yeah. And if we do pursue that idea that the chameleon circuit works on the inside and outside of the TARDIS, then it would make sense with Turlow being stranded in 1980s British public schools and Tegan being a Australian going to work at Heathrow in the 1980s. Yeah. It would make sense that the TARDIS would try to make itself feel at home for mel for ace you know for these people in the 1980s again mel of course famously being a computer programmer exactly i'm not entirely sure that she ever did any computer programming of any no and neither did pip and jane baker when they (laughs) wrote wrote for her with the megabyte modem the megabyte modem which which yeah which i think even then was like that's nonsensical because, yeah, and even uh, and nowadays it's not, it's like twice as nonsensical, but yeah, good old Pip and Jane. Yeah, it's, it's classic dialogue. It is classic, classic dialogue. So the other, the other change in the console room that's really is a hallmark of that late TARDIS console room design of the 1980s kind of was introduced a little bit earlier in the mid-70s under Graham Williams when we, we had these columns that mm. separated the roundel panels. And that came into being, I think, at the same time that we had the coat rack with season 15 in the, in the set redressing when we moved away from the gothic TARDIS yeah, to yeah, back yeah. to the white TARDIS. We have the console rooms and we pick up more TARDIS spaces outside the console room during the last part of the 70s and through the 80s. So in the Invasion of Time, we see the TARDIS swimming pool. We have all the halls that were part of that disused hospital. And then with uh, Legopolis, we get introduced to to the cloister room. And then in um, Castor Valva, we get the zero room. So we're then in Throughout the JNT era, we start seeing companion bedrooms. Various again. people's bedrooms. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's uh, it's it's kind of returning back to the uh, first couple seasons of Hartnell, where we saw more than just the console room. We're seeing the TARDIS as yeah. <laughs> a larger time vessel. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a fun idea. I, I, I again, I think now still, and and certainly then, I was kind of suspicious of. Um, a desire and a part of the showrunner, producer, and script editors in the 80s to get us interested in the characters of mm-hmm. the TARDIS team, mm-hmm. making them into, in, well, actually quite poorly realized, but anyway, you know, trying to kind of realize them as individuals, mm-hmm. as actual characters, rather than just, let's go straight into the plot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for, for me, I think, and even still now, I mean, I prefer the TARDIS to be something that gets the plot going Mm -hmm. and we get out of the TARDIS as soon as possible and as soon as possible something happens in the plot that means we can't get back into the TARDIS again Mm -hmm. until we've resolved whatever problem we've dumped ourselves into. That's what I personally prefer. Mm -hmm. With who all the kind of noodling around in the TARDIS and kind of eyes of harmony and like it's Tegan's bedroom. it became just sort of like a dorm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, you, it's yeah, it's yeah, exactly. They, it's like students, mm-hmm. like, and they're, they're all kind of hanging out. 
Yeah, definitely. And it just, and it's, again, a little bit of the precursor of what RTD brought with character drama. JNT was definitely trying to move to give mm. some kind of interesting backstory, and we're really seeing full-blown realization of that with character of Ace. Yes, yes. Which definitely leads into Rose yeah, yeah. As, as a companion with a backstory and a family. Yeah, yeah. So we can see the evolution of the drama of the story and being more character-focused because just like the stories like Curse of Fenric, which was, well, I think is one of the best stories of the McCoy era, so aside from the plot elements with Fenric, and mm-hmm. it's also a character drama with yeah. Ace and her mother and the feelings, and then we go into Ghost Light. Yeah. So it's it's definitely becoming more of a character-driven drama rather than purely a plot and story-driven drama. Yeah, yeah, which I think works in McCoy because I think the acting is strong enough. I think in some ways I don't feel that the acting was perhaps strong enough with kind of with the mid 80s TARDIS mm-hmm. team to kind of really bring out those characters. I think that, that always kind of, again, I think still stymies me with the kind of mid 80s, the Davison era is just the insistence that they never change their clothes, mm-hmm. which was like, that's just silly. They need to have different clothes from time to time. Yeah. So, it, it was, yeah. again, I think you, JNT, early on was trying to do more with marketing and kind of a comic book image of the characters in the story than kind of the realism. And uh, Graham Williams sort of did that too with Leela. Leela never really changed... I mean, she had one or two different uh, she had a, leotards. She had a couple of changes of leathers, yeah, yeah. yeah. But she, um, I mean, she went full Victorian in Talents of Wen Chiang, which was good. Mm-hmm. But that was more or less of a kind of, I think that was more just like, you know, she just needs to be basically sort of naked all the time rather than deliberately she's got to wear the same costume. Um, we're getting off the subject of console rooms. Uh, definitely. Are we done with Classic Who consoles? Are we going to skip forward to... One last thing, I think, okay. is... We pretty much had the same set from the 20th anniversary special of the Five Doctors all the way through McCoy. Yeah, yeah. And then we have quite a large set with the TV movie in 1996. Yeah. Give us your take on the um, the TV movie console room. Loved it. I really loved the big open space. I liked that it was a very arched cathedral kind of a space, but it didn't have rooms floating off of it it instead it just had kind of designated areas and it seemed almost as if the TARDIS itself was that console room just enlarged mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I like the coloring I mm. like it was like the gothic Tom Baker console yeah. room but with a time roll. yeah yeah you're right I mean I think that we'll probably talk about the TV movie in in detail at, at, at some point but and we can talk about its flaws and its successes I think one of its one of, and it has an, I think a number of flaws but one of its great successes is the design of that console room which was really really audacious actually considering how conservative in some ways, uh, the TV movie was, you know, having to have McCoy and do a regeneration. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mm-hmm. and again, you know, whether we feel that's a mistake or not, I think we can we can debate mm-hmm. that. But, you know, I think it was very audacious to move from the console room that we were all expecting, not mm-hmm. the one that we were expecting, uh, you know, which was kind of white pseudo pseudo 60s um, uh, kind of super science space into this crazy, yeah, kind of old abandoned Victorian mansion. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I, actually, the main thing that it reminded me of when I first saw it was Solon's castle from yeah. um, from the Brain of Morbius, you know, with all that interior bracing 
and just dark crepuscular. Is that how you pronounce that word? Crepuscular darkness and kind of dust and cobwebs. There's McCoy looking... Actually, you know, McCoy never looked better, really, I think, than the way they shot him in the TV movie. Hmm. I think it was a mistake to have him in it, but Mm -hmm. um, he never looked better than when he was sitting in that armchair drinking a cup of tea and reading the time machine um and mm-hmm. listening and listening to whatever he was listening to on the record player yeah. well that's that's the advantage of shooting with film rather yeah. than with video tape, yeah so yeah absolutely that's always like with like the difference in classic who too where you always would things shot on film had yeah. that certain depth of color granularity that mm-hmm. uh, videotape flattened and yeah didn't have there's actually a very interesting uh, i can't remember which which book it's in but the about time series with lawrence miles and um tat wood i mean obviously those series of books have got their flaws but there's a very Mm -hmm. interesting essay in one of those volumes that talks about the difference between film and video and how people of a particular generation are very very tuned to that difference Mm -hmm. um and how perhaps watchers nowadays are kind of less attuned to Mm -hmm. a very strong difference between those Mm -hmm. two those two ways of recording. There's a classic skit of Monty Python where they're in the building and then they look outside and said, gentlemen, we're surrounded by film. <laughs> I don't know that one. <laughs> that joke totally was lost on me because I just didn't see didn't the difference. Didn't see it. Yeah, right, interesting. Until, until much later. Yeah. The yeah. one thing, I, going back to Doctor Who in 1996, the one thing I really didn't like is the whole cloister room Eye of Harmony. Yeah. yeah. And the TARDIS. and yeah. the it's actually just been a while since I last watched the TV movie, but again, mm-hmm. it, it didn't seem to be connected very well to the console room. Um, right. How you got from the console room to the Eye of Harmony mm-hmm. room, whatever mm-hmm. that was, didn't seem to be very well articulated. And again, you know, at that by that point in the movie, it was like, what the, you know, this is just a kind of MacGuffin that they've thrown in to like right. provide some kind of risk to the story that has to be mm-hmm. solved. And like, and of course, you know, being a Who fan, you kind of knew that, well, you know, the Eye of Harmony is on Gallifrey. Like, I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. okay, well, like, why is it suddenly inside the TARDIS? Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So again, I think its design was kind of in some ways ruined for me by not liking where the plot had got to at that point. I would agree with you that, you know, I was on board right from the beginning of the new TARDIS console room with McCoy sitting in his chair reading his book. But then as the story progressed and just shaking my head, feeling very embarrassed by yeah. this yeah. by this story and this Doctor Who. And I think yeah. I had I had friends watching it Ugh. that weren't weren't Doctor Who fans. Oh, and it was oops. sort of like Right. And it was just it just was embarrassing as sort of like uh, I I really oversold this. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. This is, yeah. This is I, horrible. I think, I mean, I wasn't watching it with friends. Um, but I, yeah, I can remember, yes, it was very much a dying fall that it's, it's, you know, it's like I was on board with the Daleks t- trying the master and I was on mm-hmm. like McCoy and then, uh, you know, I was it's slowly as the thing progressed, you slowly mm-hmm. like, oh, this isn't really going anywhere. They really don't have a plot here. It's mm-hmm. just, unless just kind of a manufactured risk. But there mm-hmm. you go. And of course, I mean, the great thing that they did for the TV movie was cast Paul McGann, who has just gone from... I've just come back from a from a road trip, uh, quite a lengthy road trip, actually, about, about 2,800 miles. Most of the time, I was listening to Big Finish, uh, Paul McGann, Big Finish, during that road mm. trip. And what a great time I had listening to those stories. He is such a good actor. The one thing missing with the 96... 96- McGann McCoy console room was the roundels and as magnificent as the console room was 
I did miss the whole idea around those and the overemphasis of the seal of Rassilon in different areas. It just again part of the design that kind of irked me at the time. The whole seal of Rassilon thing, which gets well overplayed design-wise in that movie, and it just doesn't seem like it would be the Doctor's no. taste either. True, he's a Gallifreyan. True, he's a Time Lord, but he tries to avoid that society. Yeah, it's and... it's he's not really into being a Time Lord. I mean, you can imagine there mm-hmm. are Time Lords who like people who went to a particular university or something they drape their houses in prints of the college they were at and they always wear their old school tie and they've got a blazer with the crest on it there's that kind of person and yeah. the doctor is not that kind of person he doesn't really care where he went to school right i think of sir humphrey from yes minister as someone who would if he was a time yeah. lord would definitely have yeah. the have all the uh, symbols of office exactly. at hand. Exactly. <laughs> because what's, what's so genius about the Deadly Assassin, it, it takes the kind of Oxbridge kind of club elements of, which is you know kind of some of the worst class elements of British society, and it kind of transposes mm-hmm. them, it transposes them into this kind of space milieu. And what's awesome about the Doctor is that he can be a clubman, like mm-hmm. Third Doctor, you know, Zen always going on about mm-hmm. how he's been to his club. But he's really, he really doesn't care about that kind of stuff at all. He would not wear the old school tie, would not have a blazer with his college crest mm-hmm. on it. He's just not interested in that kind of stuff. <laughs> and that's why the Seal of Rassilon just kind of looked wrong in that design. And then moving on, I guess, to Rose, unless you have anything more to say with 96. I think I think I, th- I think we've covered that. Yeah, so we've got, I think we, we have, we have there's, there's three distinct console rooms, right? In the modern uh, era, yes. Yeah, yeah. And um, are we going to take them all together? Or are we going to take them? Well, let's take them one by one. Consecutively, so the, the, okay. The debut one in Rose, it's certainly a smaller space than what we had in the TV mm-hmm. movie. Definitely a smaller space. At least uh, horizontally, but vertically it does have that majesty of the big, uh, I guess they came to be called coral desktop Mm. theme arches going up the time console. And it also also had a depth to it as well, which I liked. Yeah, Um, with the drop floor. Yeah, where the Doctor restarts the the TARDIS when they've accidentally flopped into the Cybus universe. Mm goes under the consoles. I like that depth too. But yeah, no, it did feel small. And I don't think we really see any other rooms either, did we? No, but the roundels were back. <laughs> roundels were back in, in kind of hexagonal form. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Roundels were back, yeah. Well, they, I liked uh, it. Honestly, to me, they look more like the sides of Daleks than... Ooh. If, if you could imagine what the bottom skirt of a really big Dalek would look like, Right. <laughs> Looking Interesting. out, that kind of looks like the inside of the first console room to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but it's it's a weird space with three chair or the the bench chair situation in there, and we're definitely in the design thinking where we're going to make it look old and have kind of mechanical devices. And wasn't the I'm trying to remember because I know because trying to remember the guy's name. Uh, Brian Hitch, that's it. Uh, Russell Davis, who's actually quite an accomplished artist and kind of comic book illustrator himself, hired British comic book artist called Brian Hitch to do a lot of the concept designs for the original console room. And uh, and, and again, as far as I remember, I think one of the briefs is that, uh, and I think this is realised in the season finale of the of the second tenant season, that the TARDIS is originally designed to be flown by six people hence the hexagonal console. Mm-hmm. So what the doctors had to do is kind of had to bodge 
around the console in order to make it flyable by one person. Mm-hmm. I think that was one of the briefs, as far as I remember. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, in the end, when we have you know Sarah Jane and, and I can't remember what the finale is called now, one where they tow the Earth back to where the Earth should be. Stolen Earth, Journey's End. Journey's End. That's it. So they're all our kind of you know TARDIS heroes are grouped around the console mm-hmm. and they're flying the TARDIS in the way that it should be flown. Which, in my thinking, should have been the finale for Tenant, but yeah, yeah, no, that's that's a that's a good point. That's a good point. That could have been a. But um, they did interesting things with lighting, with the red, making the console room all red when it was in danger, or when the master turns it into the paradox machine. Very nice. Yes, 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 yes. Definitely some blue hinting with the TARDIS, or a dark set when it had no power. Yeah. The golden was nice and warm and inviting. Um, The nice thing with the console room that is kind of a signature of... 21st century who is you have the doors of the police public call box lit on one side for the exit so you have the exterior of the TARDIS bleeding in into the interior so if you look at uh, like uh, Enemy of the World when they land on the beach and you can see inside that it's the police box it it helps explain (laughs) the shortcomings of the prop too Mm -hmm. that 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 there's uh, <laughs> unlike the Hartnell error and the Tom Baker error when you open up the doors and you see the TARDIS console room and you open up the the doors of the TARDIS in the 21st century it is police box wooden doors yeah which makes so much sense and i think it was just a really certainly for me it was like a really pleasing mm-hmm. bit of set design detail that they finally being able though I, I didn't I again at the time I don't remember it actually really bothering me hugely that the inside of the TARDIS doors didn't look like the outside of the inside of the mm-hmm. TARDIS doors um, no it was, a, it was a good design decision that one of the designers of the 21st century console room yeah. thought it would be a good a nice way of stitching the exterior to the interior and this was after BBC had won the trademark away from Metropolitan Police of the police box itself. Yeah, exactly. That they're really trying to use this as a symbol of the show. Yeah, yeah. And I think, and I think it's always been gratifying in the, in the new series where they've gone the extra mile in terms of effects mm-hmm. to, you know, have Clara drive a motorcycle into the TARDIS mm-hmm. in, in a way that it looks like she's really done mm-hmm. it. And just to really kind of give you that double take mm-hmm. of, yeah, it really is bigger on the inside. And then when Moffat took over, he got a redesign of the set. They got a bigger soundstage. They did. And they just made it all a bit bigger. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of the 11th Doctor's console room, I'm afraid. I think it's too... The brass and the glass. Yeah, and it's got those awful railings, which look as though... I mean, it reminds me of, like, like a suburban bus station or something. You know, mm. it's like... It's got these kind of health and safety railings, mm-hmm. which really don't work for me that well. I think that console room is just a kind of a mess to me. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not a big fan of it at all. Okay. Well, the things that did work for me were the accordion drop-down monitor or the viewer screen that he would pull down. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that. Yeah, that is a cool feature. Yep, the yep. blown glass time rotor that went up and down was pretty cool. Didn't like that that much. Anyway, okay, yeah. I like the glass floor in it. Mm, didn't like the glass floor either. Okay. Well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it led to probably one of my favorite little skits in that Moffat wrote was the space-time thing with uh, Amy and right. Rory in the glass floor. So. Uh, yeah, another piece of yeah, Moffat's slightly antediluvian attitude to women, but mm-hmm. there you go, yeah. So, yeah. and the roundels were back, but they're 
huge and weird and hexagonal and different sizes. I, you and... know, I, what I think I didn't like about it, actually, is it looked too much like going into buildings that you go into. It reminded me more than anything going into a contemporary art gallery that was built hmm. in the kind of late 2000s in Britain. There's glass mm-hmm. floor and there's a railing and there's kind of like mm-hmm. multi-levels. It looked too much mm-hmm. like a piece of standard public sector architecture to me, mm-hmm. uh, which is something that I was quite intimately involved with, certainly in the late 90s and early mm-hmm. 2000s. So a little bit too familiar. Yeah, I found it too I didn't feel alien enough to me. It felt it felt too normal. I mean, glass floor, it's like every, every, everyone has. You go to any museum. I've just come back from um, San Francisco and went into the new San Francisco, uh, blah, 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 the San Francisco Art Museum. I can't remember what it's called now. Anyway, yeah. Um, uh, with glass floors. You know, it's, everyone's got glass floors. Glass floors are what architects do. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's what, that's maybe what disappointed me about it. It was mm-hmm. like, this is just a piece of slightly flashy because it's public sector, public architecture. The console itself seemed to me a little bit forced ideas in there where we have the typewriter in there and we have the old telephones it felt yeah it was a bit harry potter i didn't like it yeah we still had the coral whimsical but we'd have yeah and it just sort of seemed like let's throw any kind of piece of junk on there to make it seem eclectic and show how crazy and zany matt smith's portrayal of the doctor truly is yeah yeah, over, overly zany, perhaps, I think. And I think it was at this time that we had uh, the console, the TARDIS, being able to manufacture sonic screwdrivers. Oh, yeah, I'd forgotten about spit that. Them, spit, spit them, them out. out, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it all started to go a bit too far at that point, yeah. Well, we're getting it in a little closer into the TARDIS as the magical machine rather than a functional working some kind of you get plausibility into our reality yeah. type working machine yeah 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 as we would understand yeah. it it seems more of the magic uh street organ which is why i think to me it had this kind of harry potterish feeling to it it felt like if dumbledore had built a time machine it would look as like whimsical mm-hmm. as that basically or if, you know if jk mm-hmm. rowling had written doctor who which thank god they've never let her do well she may be in uh Ugh. Series 10. I'm the world's least fan of anything to do with Harry Potter. Hey, Harry Potter. Um, Anyway, we just lost our only listener by me saying that. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, it's too much. But if we're done with Matt Smith's console room, which I hope we are, I'm very, very keen on the current console room. I think it's I think it's great. I like it a lot. So you like the, I guess it was uh, Matt Smith's for a while, but uh, Capaldi darkened it up, certainly. Yeah, yeah. And uh, added the bookcases. I like the bookcases. I love the bookcases. And the uh, blackboards. Uh, I like the blackboards as well. They have that kind of old school, back to kind of 60s, mm-hmm. professorial taint to them, which I like. Yeah, I like the current one. Um, the thing that bothered me, I guess, the most about Capaldi's console is that thing up above that would spin as he traveled with the Gallifreyan symbols on it. And it just... David, I think, I think that just shows how much we are in sync. That is the one thing that I do not like about that console room. Yes, it re- that's just, reminded. It's like a carousel. 
Exactly. It reminded me of going to a fair with my children. <laughs> exactly. It's like a state fair carousel. Exactly. It goes which, which, round when we're going round. Like, which why? Gallifreyan animal do you want to choose this time? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll think I'll take the pink space unicorn. This... Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of unnecessary. It's unnecessarily showy. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is given that I think the Capaldi Doctor is. I think still slightly mm-hmm. of a dark, a dark and unshowy nature. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's unlike him to have had that particular desktop for the TARDIS. But there you go. Yeah. I guess it's something that goes round in the ceiling. I've liked how they've used the TARDIS for shooting in uh, the Capaldi seasons. I think with Heaven Sent, where the TARDIS would be dark and come back to life when yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I think I think they're using the TARDIS really well at the moment, and um, you know. It has so many interesting shooting angles yeah. too, with that upper yeah, walkway. Yeah. And of course, at the end of our of our current season, we have we have another TARDIS. We have Clara and Mee's sixty style TARDIS that they whiz off into space. Yes, in. yes. I so was trying to ignore that. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think that's just basically the TARDIS set that they build for an adventure in space mm-hmm. and time, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because why, why not just reuse it? Yeah, I really do like that TARDIS set. Um, yeah. I, yeah, yeah. Talking actually, talking of, of console rooms that we haven't talked about. Ah, um, is um, there's of course there's the Cushing, the the Doctor Who movie, <laughs> yeah. TARDIS console rooms. What do we think about those? Uh, the is the are the Cushing, the Peter Cushing movies? Are those canon? Those canon for us? Are we gonna are we gonna cover those at all? Or are we kind of sweeping those at some carpet? point? I guess they're as canon as some of the stories I don't like are. <laughs> 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 that's true because um, I quite no, like that I, one actually I quite like mm-hmm. it it's just kind of like a lash up of just kind of wires and stuff like hanging from the ceiling of the studio It again I think it goes back to trying to explain who the doctor was right. in the mid 60s right. we certainly didn't have and invented at the time the whole yeah. Derek Sherwin, Terrence Dix Malcolm Hulk backstory of the Time Lords we didn't have Bob Holmes with the limiting number of regenerations. We just didn't. Nope. We didn't have this backstory, and the Doctor could have been this zany scientist from the future who was able to um, lash together a time machine, right? Yeah, and so it it fit for what may have been the Doctor at that time. Yeah. yeah. So I'm sure. I mean, the Cushing Doctor is just as canonical for some as say the war doctor is for moffat so true 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 yeah i i i i I have a i I have a soft spot for those movies i think they're Mm -hmm. um, you know they're a great example of kind of you know it's 1960s kids culture Mm -hmm. the kind of movie that really isn't made anymore basically i think it would have been fascinating to see what they would have done with the mechanoids because i believe that the chase was the next the one next that one. they were going to convert or um, dramatize for the movies. Because, yeah. so. of course, I mean, as, as everyone knows, I mean, the hook for those movies was less the Doctor and, and, and was it was to do with Dalek Mania. Definitely. Which was, you know, just the biggest thing mm-hmm. in, in the mid-60s. And, of course, by the time the, they came to make the third movie, Dalek Mania had kind of fallen off a bit. Which is too bad it wasn't for Doctor Who, because I would have really loved to see the planet of the Zarbi, the web planet. Oh, God, yes. At, in that. a 60s for a movie budget. Oh, because the thing is, 
Because even with a movie budget, it still would have been pants, but um, it would have just been bigger pants and and twice as exciting. Well, I, I love the Web Planet. The web, web Planet is too, web, definitely one I of think my one of the problem, top ten. One of the problems with the Web Planet was the director itself. So we would have had a different director for the uh, right. movie production of it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So favorite console or favorite console room. Favorite console room? Oh, good, good question. Well, I think it's going to have to be classic 60s console room. Mm-hmm. Your Hartnell Trout and Root console room. With the photo blow-up round the walls and... Yep, everything. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Just the number one. With a close runner-up being the being the Hinchcliffe time machine, the H.G. Wells wood panel. Victorian yeah. console room. Victorian one, yeah, which I I just, I think even then, you know, again, when I was a lot more conservative with my likes and dislikes, I really enjoyed the console mm-hmm. of that being such a small object with that kind of just fold-down thing mm-hmm. or just little knobs you fiddle with and then bam, and then we're off. So yeah, that would be my second choice. Mm-hmm. I think. How, how about you? I would probably choose just run of the mill, maybe season fifteen, season sixteen, white yeah. console room with Tom Baker. I really like the gothic, the Hinchcliffe dark yeah. panel one. Yeah. I like the simplicity of the smaller console. I, I like the fact that there was no time order. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I th- I think we 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 both agree on it. Uh, agree on this. I think the TARDIS. And therefore, the console room works best if it's not something that's showy and flashy and is part of the story. Again, for me, the point of the TARDIS is to get us into the plot, mm-hmm. to then to then to vanish so that we have to deal with the plot mm-hmm. in order to get the TARDIS back again. That's the point of the TARDIS. And to spend a lot of time mm-hmm. noodling around in the console room, as you know, I think maybe we've done a little bit... A little, perhaps a little bit too much of that during the Moffat era for my liking mm-hmm. is, well, why are we in here? We need to be out there like dealing with the monsters rather than hanging well, around th- in the TARDIS, th- having a bit of a barney. The thing I do like about the Moffat era TARDIS, at least with the Capaldi era TARDIS, is it, I think it reconnects the life force of the Doctor with the TARDIS and that we had with the regeneration or the change between Hartnell right. and Troughton, that the TARDIS was instrumental in the catalyst for causing that regeneration to happen. And then with with Heaven Sent, where it looks like he's dying and then he comes back with the TARDIS all dead and then it comes back to life. I I like that connection that the Doctor and the TARDIS is. And we we had talked briefly, or you had mentioned that you didn't like the uh, Neil Gaiman uh, personification of the TARDIS. not very much. And I like that idea. I'm really glad that they were able to not extend that as <laughs> as a yeah. Just type just of... <laughs> let's leave it in one game and episode. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of Neil Gaiman either. <laughs> but the thing that didn't work for me with that particular TARDIS concept is with was it House that was inside and yeah, just the TARDIS the, eater, the neg- yeah. yeah the neg- negativity of the trapping Amy and Rory and stuff. I, I could have done without that yeah. bit and. But I did like the idea of Idris. I did like the line that Amy told the doctor saying, uh, did you wish really hard? Is this why this happened? Right. You know, yeah. I, I thought that to me is a much better solution for the doctor's wife than Moffat's uh, Mary Sue character of River Song. Yeah, so. I think you have to tread a very fine line with the TARDIS. And I think it's similar to, I think, previous discussions we've had about the relationship between 
the sixth Doctor and Perry in the one of the things that comes very strongly out in the first season of Colin Baker's relationship with Perry is like, why the hell is she spending time with this objectionable man? Right. Um, and so if the, the TARDIS becomes something that is potentially villainous or potentially doesn't like you or is not your home, is not comfortable, mm-hmm. then it's like, well, why are you spending time in in this inside this this object when actually you mm-hmm. could be somewhere else? The TARDIS mm-hmm. needs to feel like it's somewhere that is, it's it's where we start out in the story and it's where we end up. So when we mm-hmm. when we are, it's it's home. It's 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 where we are when we're back home again. And I think anything that sort of distorts or plays with the TARDIS as being a place of refuge and a place mm-hmm. of comfort, I think you have to be careful with that because if it stops being mm-hmm. a, a comfortable place where people want to be, it's like, well, why is anybody in it then if it's kind of scary mm-hmm. and weird and, you know, mm-hmm. has a strange personality? So based on that, I'm guessing you really didn't like the journey to the center no. of the target. Well, I don't think anyone liked that one, did they? <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing... There, it was well, like, the what's thing I liked, going on? <laughs> <laughs> the thing I really liked... Well, the thing visually that I liked about it was the TARDIS interior with all the glowing orbs as you're going into the interior of the TARDIS. Now, I thought that was a very yeah. good visual image of it. But to me, if you're going to have this endless interior of the TARDIS, find a cathedral. Yes. Go into the catacombs of a cathedral or the, or the cloisters of a cathedral, the big vaults of the space. If you're going to have a swimming pool and they actually show a old uh, which was the genius of invasion of time of course accidental right. genius but genius mm-hmm. nonetheless yeah yeah i absolutely yeah. agree so if you're going to have a library find a classic library mm-hmm. you know beautiful mm-hmm. library i mean they could have went if they didn't want to use one of the um you know uh, oxford cambridge libraries because everyone would say well that's How, too familiar yeah there there's beautiful libraries in eastern europe where yeah. they were filming yeah. that they could have used yeah. as a set well so, i think i think i think that's you're, you're exactly right and i completely agree with you. i think what i didn't care for apart from the like for the plot was a bit dodgy journey to the center of the tardis is like okay the tardis can be anything Mm-hmm. It still looks like a set that you built at the Moat Studios in Cardiff. Like, the TARDIS can be anything, so let's make it anything. As you said, let's go to the National Library of Wales and shoot there, and let's go to, mm-hmm. like, you know, um, Salisbury Cathedral and have that as the hat room or something. You know, let's, let's, right. let's do all that, because mm-hmm. all it requires is just a little bit of driving around and a couple of second-unit filming. I mean, you can still have the running through quarters. I mean, we're still going to have the TARDIS-type quarters, but you can use that to link between these different... yeah. Yeah. different locations yeah. and it, it, it kind of diminished the TARDIS into more more of guess what it was originally you know which was you know the spaceship it felt like it felt like a kind of event horizon style kind of vaguely gothic horrible mm-hmm. spacecraft but the TARDIS is so much more than that you can do it as a set I mean you know I, I think I think you probably agree with me you know that the sets for um uh Deadly Assassin you know with with the Panopticon you know which again mm-hmm. are, are really really effective in terms of establishing that this could be something that is really, really huge. Um, mm-hmm. So let's, you know, let's try and do that with the TARDIS. And I'll, yeah, I, mm-hmm. I felt that's, that was one of the problems with that particular yeah. episode. They kind of undersold it. If you're going to have a story called The Journey to the Senate of the TARDIS and you've known in the past where the missteps were. Yes. Especially like with the Invasion of Time and Castor Valva where yeah. you just have endless white corridors yeah. or uh, you have a boot cupboard which looks like this. Yep. 
uh, Regency room, but it's obviously a big blown up photo. Yep. Uh, yep. You need to do more. Yeah. I think, you know, I think Moffat's certainly been on record that during that season, um, what would it be? Season eight, seven, eight. Um, I'm trying to look over at my DVDs. Anyway, he was very, very much overstretched as a showrunner. We're doing Sherlock as well. And to me, a lot of the mistakes that happened in that season, I mean, the whole kind of screw up with the Gaiman Cyberman episode, mm-hmm. which I think is just an awful mess because really someone just lost control of the script. I think the showrunner wasn't paying enough attention. And I, I mean, I, you know, much as I'd like to criticize Moffat, I think he is a man who, you know, does really care about this show. And I think if someone had been paying slightly more attention to, let's think about what this design should look like for the TARDIS and mm-hmm. let's see how that script fits into the design, I think we could have got something slightly better. So that was series seven. Yeah. That was a split series. Yeah, yeah. And I think Moffat made his job harder because he had the split of what Clara was. He was really trying to focus focus in on making sure the doctor regenerated the way the thir- handled the 13 regenerations the way he wanted it handled right in a way almost well i think cheating to add the war doctor in there and to add tenant having two regenerations to get to his 13 so he could solve the regeneration problem yeah. in really kind of a silly way in yeah. the time of the doctor with trying to tie in the crack together so it's yeah. I don't want to go into uh, Moffat criticism tonight. No, I think we can do a whole episode on that. But yeah, no, and I think I think it's I think you know I think to give him his due, I think he just he he'd taken on too much work at that well, point. Something certainly was off that split part season. Yeah, yeah, like, absolutely. Just to go back to the the Gaiman Cyberman, I can't remember what's called now. That Cyberman episode, the aptly named Nightmare in Silver. Yeah. So. So obvious that, you know, Gaiman had written the Clara character as this Victorian governess, and then suddenly mm-hmm. the showrunner decides that, no, actually, she's not going to be a Victorian governess. She's going to be a contemporary, whatever a governess is, contemporary, someone who looks after children, maybe a nanny. And it's just mm-hmm. the, the kind of whiplash in, in that is, 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 is difficult. And so I think, I think all the way through that season, you can see, you can see his overwork and and an inability to actually fully control everything, um, which I think you need to have as a showrunner. You know, and it's, it's a I think it's a, it's a tough job. The problem with I think the modern era is that we have a showrunner, producer, scriptwriter. You, you don't have a division of labors. You don't have someone who's just there to edit scripts and go for consistency yeah. of theme. That comes in the fall, uh, the guise of the mm-hmm. showrunner who's also trying to write half yeah. the series. Yeah. And it, yeah, it no, shows. I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah. So, but the, the Nightmare in Silver definitely was a Neil Gaiman story trying to retrofit Doctor yeah. Who in it while the Doctor's wife. I think it's come out that Moffat did quite a bit of rewrites to make it work better within a Doctor Who universe. It's not certainly perfect, but I think of Gaiman's two credited outings, it's the more successful of the two. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not entirely convinced that Gaiman's a good writer for Who, Mm -hmm. but you know, I guess he's he's a name, and it's. I think it's. You know, obviously, it's in some ways it's it's good to have uh, names like that involved. But uh, yeah, anyway. Um, so yeah, I, I, again, we're, we're veering away from console rooms as a subject. Yep, well, I think we've exhausted. I think we have what we want to say with console rooms, at least at this time. Okay, so we can sign off then. Yeah, so that's probably a good place to leave it. 
Okay. So thank you for listening. I've been David. And and I've been Ben. And have a good evening or day or whatever you're doing listening. Uh, absolutely. Please do that. surrounded by film. What? What? What?